Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Scott Bellina, Senior Director of Diversity, Belonging and Giving at Citrix. Since joining Citrix in 2018, Scott's been developing and managing initiatives to engage employees, stakeholders, and leaders to create diverse, inclusive, and equitable workspaces and communities. He's also worked on diversity and inclusion for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, spent 14 years at Deloitte helping clients to address diversity and inclusion, along with wellness, process, design, and software implementation. His diversity bug, however, bit him when he joined the Navy. Scott, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. Thanks for having me. So there's definitely a few cliffhangers I've left there in your introduction. Uh, and I think a good place to start is your career. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your career? I'm touching on some of the companies and projects that I mentioned in your introduction. Well, I started my career as a, as a U.S. Navy officer. So the U.S. Navy gave me a scholarship to go to college, and I got to serve on active duty for seven years and then a few more in the reserves after that. And, you know, got to travel all around the world, uh, Japan and South Korea during college, all over the Mediterranean and in the Arabian Gulf while I was on active duty. So really, for someone that grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and never really had been outside the country, was a very eye-opening and thought-expanding experience for me. And after I left the Navy, joined Deloitte and, and got to work on software implementations for the U.S. federal government as my full-time job, but my part-time job was diversity. And I got to hold a number of roles with our LGBTQ, ERG, employee resource group, and then made diversity kind of my full-time job um, at Deloitte, working for their leadership center for inclusion. And after that, you know, at the Gates Foundation and now at Citrix, I've really gotten to work on launching diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging programs. So bringing together strategies for the company and then, you know, engaging the organization and stakeholders to execute on those strategies. Great. And then just going back to the beginning, I found quite intriguing when we first started chatting was you spoke about your time at the Navy and how this really sort of kickstarted your passion for diversity and inclusion. Well, may, not kickstarted, maybe just ignited it. Can you tell us how, how that came about? Sure. I mean, as I said, like I grew, I grew up just outside of Pittsburgh in the United States, uh, in, in Pennsylvania, and it was not a super diverse you know, area, area of the country for the, for the most part, people were white with your, you know, European ancestors or, or black or African-American. And I really, you know, didn't have the opportunity as a kid to travel much. My, my family, my dad was a steel worker. We did not have a, a lot of money growing up. So I had never really had opportunities to interact with 
people from all over the United States, let alone people from around the world. And as a junior officer, you know, you're immediately thrown into a leadership position, right? It was, I was 22 years old. I had, you know, dozens of people working for me from all around the country. And it really excited me to bring all those different points of view, different ways of doing things into a team, right? And we could create something that was um, bigger than, you know, the sum of our parts. And, and, and then to do that in locations all around the globe. I did foreign exchanges with the Japanese and South Korean navies. And, you know, being a six foot four white guy <laughs> in the Japanese Navy, you really, you know, you have that experience of I'm absolutely different than everyone else here, right? And a lot of us don't get to have that experience on a daily basis of feeling so, so different and so out of place. So that was really kind of formative experiences for me. And and probably lastly, and this was more reflecting back on it after I progressed in my career, you know, I'm a gay man. And during my service in the Navy was during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was a policy that basically said, if you don't out yourself, you can serve. But if the military would find out that you are gay, that you could be thrown out of the the military. And it it was a challenge because that's you know, that's an organization that's all about esprit de corps and trust and teamwork. And it was really difficult to have to hide part of myself, right? It's, 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 uh, you know, I'm, you're constantly thinking how you're going to censor yourself, how you have to sometimes change your physicality, change the way you speak, just to make sure you fit in. So those were really kind of formative experiences, both positive and negative, that really kind of set me on a career trajectory. Yeah, it's interesting because if you can't be your true self, then can you be your best self? And that's kind of what the the Navy you know promotes. Then let's talk about your time at Deloitte. Do you have any highlights? Yeah, so it, it really plays kind of nicely with, with my previous answer. One of one of my favorite things that I got to work on um, was with a, a partner named Christy Smith, and then a law professor Kenji Yoshino. And Kenji Kenji had written a book called Covering, and Covering was is based on a sociological concept that all of us downplay aspects of ourselves to fit in. So. It was exactly what I was having to do while I was in the military, but we got to do research with thousands of people across, you know, lots of different organizations, government, nonprofits, public companies around how covering could be impacting employees, right? How people not being able to be themselves really negatively affected the employee experience. And you know, it was really interesting. We got lots of quantitative stories, but or quantitative information. But what really, to me, was most compelling was the stories we heard from the participants in the in the surveys, and like some just really sort of stood out in my brain. Like there was a gentleman that was in his fifties, very senior leadership position, and he had a degenerative back problem of uh, disease. 
And he really needed to be using a cane for mobility issues. But he would walk around work for eight, 10 hours a day in excruciating pain because he thought that if he took his cane into work, people would perceive him as less powerful, less capable of doing his job, right? So, so how, you know, how could a leader focus, to, to your point, their time and energy on what's important, innovating, being productive, engaging with employees, if they're sort of devoting also all this time and energy to managing their pain, right? Or hiding that you're a gay man in a place where it's not safe to come out, or there, you know, myriad of other stories, black women around the social pressure to manage their hair, you know, the, and instead of wearing hair more naturally to fit sort of a white standard of what of what beauty was. So there were lots and lots of those stories that I think made the uh, research even more compelling. It is so interesting. We, you know, I've just recently gone through some training and, um, you know, learning more about diversity and inclusion because, you know, um, I, yeah, and you just touch the surface of, and you, don't, you can't believe all the, all the different stories and different situations which you've never even thought about and never put yourself in the shoes of those people. So it's, it's really eye-opening, you know, but I think we're always learning. Yeah, how much energy, you know, it's almost like the people, and, and I guess the other thing that to me was all so interesting and appealing is it was, it was a take on diversity that was for everyone. You know, straight white men exhibited this behavior almost, you know, it, not nearly as much as some of the other more marginalized groups, but like more than 50%, whether it was, veteran status or disability or caregiving responsibilities. There was a leader that said that he would put a fake meeting on his calendar at four o'clock every Wednesday so he could go watch his daughter play soccer. And I'm like, you're lying to every coworker, you know, that you have just, just saying like, I, I need to leave at four because my daughter's life is important to me. And, and I, I, I you know, I want to, I want to be part of that. And that doesn't make you less capable as a leader, doesn't make you less engaged as an employee. It's just you trying to manage your, you know, your work and and your and your personal life. It was to me just that broad appeal was also really, really impactful. Yeah, it's not just about um, race and and sex. There's all sorts of boxes to tick. So that yeah, and that isn't do you think that's a cultural thing? So in the US versus say the UK European market or even the Asian market, do you think that that happens more in some cultures, that sort of blocking out the diary and pretending? I think it can. And I think it's probably more, I think there's certainly country cultural aspects of it. I think there's also company cultural aspects of it, you know, of it too, where where um, in some companies it's, you know, it's more okay to to share that with your colleagues and others likely not. So, but, you know, my hope would be <laughs> we... We could all move to a place where we're just honest with, you know, with each other and not have to lie, right? I mean, essentially, it's just lying, right? <laughs> so that to me ne- is never a good spot to be in, in in any sort of organization. No, not the foot to land on. So let's talk about then, you know, looking at your role at Citrix. How do you use diversity to inspire innovation? Well, maybe not just at Citrix, but at all the places you've worked. You know, how do you use that to inspire those cultures. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily inspire innovation, but I think it's a tool. It's a tool for innovation that that when you you know, and there's 
you know, lots of published articles about missteps that, that, that companies or organizations have made. And, and my, my assumption when you hear about those is, oh, they didn't have someone around the table or, you know, on the Zoom call these days that, that had that perspective and couldn't say, hey, we're, you know, we're, this is, this is going down a wrong path, or this may actually, this may be offensive to somebody or kind of fill in, fill in the misstep. So to me, having a bunch of, of, of different points of view that, to me, I call it kind of productive disruption, right? That there's people around the table with different points of view. There's a culture where those people can question assumptions, can identify risks, and, and, are, and are free to do so without penalty. It really leads to better outcomes, right? And then that is, you know, that's why businesses exist, right? Where many of us are providing a service, providing a product, and we were wanting to do it better, faster, cheaper all the time. And diversity and inclusion, really, it's both, right? Because you need all those points of view and you need the culture that enables the expression of those points of view to reach those outcomes. Is productive disruption your coin phrase then? I, I guess so. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not trademarked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a great way to phrase it though. Okay, now we'll, we'll go to Citrix, but um, you, I know you develop teams through inclusion. Can you talk us through the thinking behind that principle? Yeah, so I mean, much like a, we, we were we were just talking, you know, that 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 people need to learn how to operate in that environment, right? That that for some of us, it's it's not natural. Um, we haven't had, you know, much like me as you know, a teenager coming from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we haven't had exposure to lots of people, or you know, people from other countries, people that you know, for me, not speaking English as a first language that there's all these circumstances that we have to become aware of. And I think diversity is a way to do that and, and inclusion is a way to do that. So it can be very much a learned skill. So we have a program here that a reimagined one called I Am Citrix that we're actually launching at the beginning of March that takes people on this you know, learning journey that explores identity and diversity, explores behaviors and things that make people feel excluded, tools that you can use to make people, not make people, but encourage people to feel included. And then lastly, for our managers and people leaders, they get an extra sort of course around creating psychological safety within those teams or creating that environment where people feel safe to question those assumptions, bring up an alternative idea, identify risks maybe that the team isn't seeing because those ideas don't help us unless they can be expressed. Is that part of the work that you're doing at the corporate citizenship team at Citrix? No. So corporate citizenship, yeah, that's so that's all part of my diversity, equity, inclusion work. And and you know, I do that in partnership with our, you know, our learning team here here at Citrix and, and engaging teams and leaders across the organization. Corporate citizenship is, is the other half of my job. <laughs> and corporate citizenship is really all about how Citrix supports its employees and gives back to our communities. And we, we operate in more than 40 countries around the world. In most of those countries, we have community ambassadors 
they work with you know their their local community and the nonprofits and the charities within their community to donate money to organize volunteer efforts and we get you know we get out in the into the community and roll up our sleeves and you know volunteer in schools we've you know helped with food distribution for for people that are food insecure so you know really kind of all over the map but we tend to focus on really three areas of impact so education and particularly stem education or science technology engineering and math equity and that sometimes can overlap a lot with with education but really helping the most marginalized in any country or, or culture and then lastly environment and again that can overlap a lot with with equity as well because folks that are marginalized are also disproportionately affected by climate change what you know water scarcity and, and other things so that's the th- kind of three big areas we give and, and we do that by matching our employees donations so causes they care about we we match their gifts to those organizations as I said, volunteerism, and then, you know, us making grants directly to those nonprofits to help them do, you know, the great work that they're doing to make all of our communities and and lives better. Great. I was going to ask you about your day today, but you sort of covered most of that. Well, who are the teams that you actively work with the most? Is HR a big one? I mean, does it go across marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sit in the HR function and I, I do a lot of work with our HR teams. I'm very close partners with our talent acquisition, our recruiting, you know, our recruiting teams. And we'll do anything from working on campaigns to attract sort of people from different backgrounds and different demographics into into Citrix, we've worked on process design within talent acquisition for us to design processes that help us mitigate our own unconscious bias. So having diversity on our interview teams, we implemented technology that helps take bias language out of our job postings. So, you know, things things along those lines, I'll work up, you know, we'll, we'll work with our compensation and benefits teams around benefits that benefit employees of, of particular demographics. Um, I partner with compensation around pay equity. I said a lot about sort of learning and development. So we do, you know, we do a ton with that team to really make sure inclusion and, and the competencies around inclusion are part of, you know, overall learning at, um, at Citrix. But as you mentioned, I also work outside of sort of HR. So Mark, you know, our marketing team and communications team, we do a, you know, we don't like to brag about what we're doing at Citrix, but we do like to kind of highlight some of the things that are that are going, you know, that are going well. So we'll do, you know, social media posts or external blogs around that. You know, th- this opportunity came out through our marketing team. So that's a, yeah, that's another group um, that I get to interface with a lot. And and sometimes sales. You know, we are sometimes part of larger teams of sales. We work a lot through you know partners and channels to sell our products. And a lot of companies now are, you know, have really strong values and rules around supplier diversity. So oftentimes our salespeople are getting asked around what is Citrix doing for you know, fill in the blank issue or cause that they care about. So so I sometimes am part of this, you know, the sales cycle as well, because some other company that we're doing business with values what we're, you know, what we're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, and needs that information before they make a 
a purchase decision. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, you you're now holding the people that you work with accountable as well for for their sort of setup. And talking about um, diversity and then Citrix and inclusion, do, how do you think the pandemic has impacted that? I know we sort of we're not post pandemic; it's not going away for a few years. But um, do you think this sort of move to remote working and you know, not having to be near an office in a big city has helped or hindered? I mean, I think there's, I think there's been been both benefits and challenges that, that I think one benefit is it has completely leveled the playing field globally, right? That, that uh, most of us were, especially knowledge workers, were in the same circumstances, right? You know, many of us, laptop, you're lucky if you had a desk in your home. If not, you're at your you know, dining room table, kitchen table, you know, so, some little corner with whatever you know, propping up your laptop that you could you could find and and doing work. And we're you know we're all engaging like you and I are engaging now. And and I think that the tendency for sort of that virtual workplace initially was like, okay, well maybe we have four or five people that are in the same location and two people that are outside of that location, you know. They're looking at us sitting around a big table. We're talking to each other, and largely they're getting ignored, right? Or they're having to be super forceful in order to chime in. So, I think, I think in in that regard, it highlighted to to many of us some bad behaviors that we had, right? That we weren't being really inclusive with with those kinds of interactions, and that you know a lot of us are working on teams that we aren't you know, geographically co-located that, that we have, it could be as dramatic as halfway, you know, halfway around the world. Or if you're on a big, you know, if you're on a big campus, it could be someone just in another building that you just didn't have time to walk over to their, you know, to their building and take the meeting. So I think it's really strengthened if we're doing it well, our interactions virtually. It opened up job markets for a lot of of people right like that you don't have to physically be near a company's office to to take a job and and really you know things that a lot of organizations were hesitant about or even managers hesitant about like i i can't manage someone unless they're sitting you know right here right here next to me and i can see you know i can see what they're doing became impossible so we had to learn how to do that well. So I think, you know, there were lots of advantages and which, you know, opens up talent markets for people, right? And opens for companies to hire, but also opens up opportunity for people for whatever reason that couldn't engage in in organizations. You know, maybe they had caregiving responsibilities. Maybe they had physical limitations that wouldn't let them be in an office, you know, full-time or any number of other reasons that people weren't engaging in the workforce. And I mean, let's be frank, right now there's more job openings than there are people to fill those jobs. And anything any of us can do to broaden the talent pools that we're trying to attract is a good thing. So I think geography is certainly not, you know, certainly not a limitation anymore. Yeah. And I think you said it in when we were discussing before, you used the word untethering as well. So I mean the people that you are working, they're now released from their desktop. And this also opens up a, a world of a whole new world of possibility. Yeah. And I think it's also helped us, you know, it it's helped us manage in some degrees it's been overwhelming, right? Like because it's hard to get away from work. But for those of us that 
have been able to find some balance, that that untethering has also helped us with our lives. Like, so, you know, I take me example. So solidly Gen X, unfortunately, last year, my, my mother passed away, and, but she was, she was, you know, very ill and, and got a, got a diagnosis. And rather than taking weeks and weeks off of work, I was able to go to Pennsylvania, be there with her, help my dad and still stay, you know, engaged with my team. And even on my small team, I have a, an employee that works for me. She has grandchildren. She's, you know, over the holidays, she was able to basically go spend like a month and a half with her grandchildren. She's like, listen, I'm going to work. And then, you know, when I'm done, I'll be where my grandchildren are that I don't get to see every day. And she, you know, she gets to really engage and be around for their lives. So I think it's been a wonderful opportunity for all of us to be able to integrate sort of our work and our life together, as opposed to maybe having to step away. Like I may have been in a situation where I had to take a leave of absence, right? And Citrix would have lost out on my talents and time during that period, as opposed to me still being able to engage in work. Yeah, I think there's, um, like you say, so some of us maybe are potentially working a lot more, but if you can, there is the opportunity to find a much better work-life balance which is really good. Actually, I mean, imagine going back to the old old ways of working. It's, it's very, very stressful just even thinking about it. First time I went into the office, I forgot my power cord. I forgot <laughs> my mouse. <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, and it's expensive. Hey, going in petrol, trains, coffees, you know, all of that stuff. So going back to Citrix, some of the work you guys are doing as a company, we talked about bringing you in, in talent, finding new talent, you know, the barriers have um, sort of dropped due to this remote working that we're doing now, but how are you retaining your existing talent? What, what, are, what are you guys doing there? We've really been trying to be very deliberate about it. We've done a lot around mentoring and creating and forging relationships across the organization because, you know, that, that really we believe that's what really ties someone to an organization, right? That they're they're bought in, they care, they have a strong network to rely on to accomplish their job. So we, we've done lots around sort of mentoring and sponsorship, learning and development. As I said, like in you know in the pandemic, I think our our learning and development, and we would call them people and organization capability team has launched any number of new development programs, including like tracks for people that are individual contributors to grow the skills they need to become a manager, right? So that that people see that there's learning and growth and opportunity within their organization, that they don't have to go outside the organization to continue to further their career, grow as a, you know, grow as an individual and and reach the goals that they have. So that's some of the things. And then I think a lot of the work I'm lucky enough to do with how we engage the community with, you know, especially during the pandemic where, you know, Citrix was doing was doing, you know, quite quite well, right? We make virtual work technologies and suddenly the world was put in, you know, a virtual work situation and we really took the philosophy like while the, everyone else is hurting, we're doing really well. We're we're trying to give back as much as we can and the comments I got from employees about how proud they were around what Citrix 
was doing and how we were able to help, you know, colleagues in countries that were harder, you know, harder hit. We we set up something called the Employee Emergency Assistance Fund during the pandemic because we, you know, we had employees, you know, particularly in India where, where they got re- hit really hard and the vaccine didn't roll out there as quickly as it did in other locations and people, you know, losing loved ones or loved ones getting really sick and we were helping them find hospital beds and oxygen generators and they had extreme financial hardships. So that fund was able to help them through, you know, some of those difficult times when they may have been supporting multiple families because of, of illness or, or unfortunately, you know, death. Right. That was a little bit of a, <laughs> a, a sad ending. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hard hitting. And I was just thinking how amazing it was that Citrix were able to do that. You know, and it doesn't sound like, obviously it was reactive to dealing with the pandemic, but it was a proactive approach and move to to help and to support your employees and give them that sort of um, the assistance when they needed it. Yeah. And I think for us, it just, it demonstrates that the organization really cares about you, you know, you as an individual and a person and the circumstances that person is going through. And, and while we can't solve everything, we see it as here's, here's something we can do to make your life, you know, a bit easier as you're going um, in that case through, you know, through hardship. Yeah. So I was going to move on to the multi-generational workforce. I know it's a topic uh, that we wanted to sort of dive into a little bit, but there there must be challenges around that. I'm sure, you know, all all, uh, large businesses are experiencing that, but how do you understand you know, each of the, the individual's needs in such a large organization. Is that a challenge? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's impossible. I mean, for, for to, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's impossible for me to understand everyone's individual needs, right? You know, we, we can make assumptions about large groups of people, but I think what I can do is teach all those managers to care about an, an employee's individual needs, right? That we, rather than any of us relying on an assumption or a hypothesis or a generalization about a specific demographic of people, be that age or gender or kind of fill in the blank, that we really need to engage with each other as as people, right? That I need, I need to, as a manager, I need to understand what's important to my team, what their needs are, how I can help them overcome obstacles or barriers to be their best selves at work and us be the best team at work and, and, and be productive. So I think, I think for me, we do have to make decisions and analyze data from generalized data and generalized assumption, whether that be around benefits or pay or where we're going to recruit, but simultaneously teaching all of our leaders and really everyone that, that you know, the person-to-person interaction and leading with sort of empathy <laughs> and, un- and, and driving towards understanding is really the most important interaction or decision that that leader, you know, that that leader can make. And talking about leadership, how do you approach growing diverse leadership within Citrix and the, the company's partners? Probably two ways. So one, one is internally. So all of our 
you know, leadership cu- curriculums that that people and organization capability team has rolled out are cumulative, right? That there, that there's, there could be a track through that learning and development from individual contributor to vice president, right? That those, those programs are over years teaching you skills from managing teams to strategic leadership um, that, that will grow you through. And, and then we, support that with mentorship and and both internal to the organization and outside of the organization and being deliberate about people's skills and 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 development needs and giving them experiences through our performance management process around you know developing them into a real well-rounded professional that's certainly part of it the other part is bringing in outside talent, and you know we we really take the philosophy from a recruiting standpoint that we're going to diversify our pipelines as much as we can. We're going to partner, you know, we're going to partner with organizations from uh, Anita B Org that runs one of the biggest women in tech conferences, you know, in the world. Girls Who Code is a partner. We partner with Lesbians Who Tech you know, Afrotech and the National Society of Black Engineers, like a whole, you know, a whole host of organizations to encourage people that are underrepresented in in the tech industry to be aware of Citrix, join Citrix. And then, as I mentioned before, we then design that recruiting process to mitigate our own bias so that we, you know, we really make a decision of who's the best person for that role. And it's not based on, you know, it's not based on sort of this cultural programming that all of us have and can't, can't avoid, but we put in you know, processes and tools to help us make that less biased decision to really, you know, encourage and increase the diversity here at Citrix, whether it amongst, you know, our leadership or our individual contributors. You've given us a lot of inspiration around diversity, but are there any sort of high-level tips or suggestions, nuggets um, for the aspiring diversity leaders we we might have listening to the show? I think for part of it, you know, simultaneously, the job market for diversity inclusion is hotter than I have ever <laughs> ever seen it before. Right, like like lots of open jobs, lots of companies are investing in this area. But in general, it's really small teams, right? Like it's, you know, my team is me and, you know, three, three other people for, for all, of, all of Citrix, and that's both diversity and corporate citizenship. So we don't often have big groups of people working on this, but there's lots of volunteer opportunities. So I mentioned employee resource groups. We have leaders all over the world that run our employee resource group. That's a great way to start doing this work, much like I did, while you're also doing your other job as a you know marketing manager, a software developer, a, you know accountant, whatever that is, you know you learn by doing. So I think that's me for people that are always saying like, how do I break into you know th- this kind of role? Many many people do it through learn by doing and on the job, you know, on the job training. My degree is in chemical engineering, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, I've I've grown my career kind of in this direction because it was something I was interested in and passionate about, and been very fortunate that people saw that I was capable and passionate about this this work, and they gave me gave me opportunities to do it. 
Yeah, and in your job title, um, there's obviously diversity, but there's also belonging, uh, which is the first time I've heard that. And I know uh, you have a belief around that that theme and that subject. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, belonging is really kind of my North Star. So to me, that is the ultimate outcome of any of this work. And I always kind of use the analogy of when we were kids, right? Like we, you know, at school and the in-groups and the out-groups, right? And we we know that feeling when we feel like we don't belong, right? Like we're we're surrounded by people that maybe we're not familiar with. And it's just that uneasy, I'm second guessing, you know, I'm second guessing myself. I'm really being careful about how I'm behaving and how I'm what I'm saying, right? And that really is part of covering, right? Like that we're putting all of this time and energy into managing <laughs> this, right? Our, you know, our brains, our mouths, our bodies versus when we're amongst our people, right? Whether that be our our work tribe, our family, our friend group, maybe an you know, online community where we really feel safe and comfortable and we can let all of that insecurity and self-censorship go and just be us and fully present and give the very best, you know, ideas that come out, you know, that come out of our brains and not feel inhibited to share those. So to me, everything, you know, I do, whether that's around representation and diversity, that part of feeling that safety and comfort is there's leaders and there's other people around me that look like me and have a similar background and experience to me or you know those inclusion competencies and people are using those tools and things we teach them to create that feeling amongst the group of people they're interacting with and working with is just all kind of pieces of the puzzle to kind of reach that that state of belonging and it's you know it's very situational it can change from minute to minute but you know to me that's kind of the ultimate expression of of this work well yeah i've really enjoyed speaking with you scotts uh, i'm always learning uh, about these uh, topics and themes so thank you for sharing i wanted to end on a more personal note and focus on you as as the main person so i've got some fun questions where we, you know, just um, find a little bit more about Scott Bellina and what makes you tick. So it's a little bit of fun, not too serious, but I just wanted to find out, do you have a guilty technology pleasure? Oh, goodness. (laughs) This is embarrassing. (laughs) So my niece turned me on to TikTok. (laughs) Ah, okay. (laughs) About not quite a year ago. And there's lots of fun and silly stuff on TikTok, which I absolutely enjoy. I've And my husband makes fun of me because I do this, but I've also found a lot of creators that really inform me about my job. Uh, folks that are indigenous or people with disabilities, Black and African-American folks, people from all around the world that kind of create content that helps me learn about other cultures, other perspectives, other situations to kind of make me a better a better diversity practitioner than than I am. So, it's both guilty pleasure and more useful than I ever expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you yourself TikTok and I have not been that brave. So, I've I've not I'm I'm a lurker. <laughs> 
I have it's not. It's time to uh, get brave. out of that comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been brave enough to put content uh, out there. Maybe the next time my niece visits, she and I will. She and I will do one together. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. What do your friends think you do versus what do your family thinks you do versus what do your boss thinks you do? Well, I think my boss has a great great idea of what I do because she. Uh, I work for our chief people officer, Donna Donna Kimmel. So, and she and I interact all the time. So, I think she has a really good grasp. <laughs> I don't know, no matter how much I've explained it, for family and friends that they truly grasp what I do for a living. So they know I work in HR and they know I help employees. But beyond that, I don't know that people truly get sort of the day to day of what I do. But maybe I'll send this, uh, maybe I'll send this out to everyone and that'll give them a better, a better glimpse into, um, into what I do for a living. Do it. Yeah, I think, I think it would. Uh, do you have an essential desk item? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I will say I usually, free advertisement, I usually have LaCroix on my desk, which is like a flavored sparkling water. So I'm hydrating. So that's probably not a desk item, but it's always, there's always, uh, there's always some of that on my desk throughout the day. And then are you listening to or watching or reading anything worth noting or uh, anything that's inspiring you at the moment? I So I've actually been uh, reading. So my friend, uh, Erica Dewan, and Eric and I used to, she was on a, a, a board uh, that we had at, um, at Deloitte. So she's just released a new book and I'm going to just read it because I don't want to mess it up since I'm uh, talking about Erica's book. <laughs> So it is called Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. And she just released it last year and I have uh, been promising her that I was going to read it. So I'm finally I'm finally dug in and doing it. And I, I think actually that it re- relates a lot to what, we, what we've been talking about. So she's a really great thinker on this topic and has met with groups all, you know, all around the world that are engaged in virtual work. Okay, cool. I, that sounds very interesting. Did that come out um, because of the pan? Well, off the back of the pandemic and the shift to remote. Yeah, no, she was actually working on it pre-pandemic, and then it was just really fortuitous. <laughs> I guess that's a bad way to say to talk about. Yeah, pandemic. no, I get what you mean. Yeah. But it was just very circumstantial that when she was kind of ready to release the book, we were in the midst of a pandemic, and these were skills that suddenly everyone needed to do do better at. Okay. Yeah, one of the things I've learned in the virtual world is to turn off your self view on your on your Zoom or on whatever device. It just I find it um, exhausting seeing my floating head up there all day. So I, I do that. Okay, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try that. I didn't know I didn't even <laughs> know that was uh, an option. Yeah, it's um, it's although I do find I have funny poses and I tilt my head a few, so I, I need to work on better posture. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I think you just answered my last question about someone who inspires you. But is there any any sort of business speakers, maybe even in the diversity inclusion space, who's given you a new lease of life, or you know, when you're lying, you would think, "Wow, that was amazing." I'd love to, you know, explore those ideas further. Or- yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I've I've thrown out a lot of people that have in, inspired me. You know, Kenji and and Christy and Eric, Eric is one. Probably the other person, Adam Grant, that does a lot of work around psychological safety. If you've heard of Adam, he's someone, and I've I've also had the pleasure of of meeting him. That that just really inspires me with the work he's 
doing, and probably the last person I would say, and, and she's actually the partner that I'm working with for that learning program that I was telling you. She, she works for, as part of the founders of a, a product called Escalera, which is what our learning program is built on. But Dr. Tawanda Tolbert, she has a great energy and a great point of view on this work and, and decades of experience. So I'm, she's always uh, inspiring to me. Great. Well, thank you, Scott. I will definitely check out a few of those people. They all sound extremely interesting. This podcast was extremely interesting and insightful. So thank you for for spending your time with us, sharing your knowledge, expertise and insights uh, into uh, such a fascinating subject matter. I think companies are all doing positive steps in the right direction for diversity and inclusion. So long may it continue. And it's a learning curve, I think, for, for everyone. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. And that brings it into this episode of the CEO the Digital Show. If you like what you heard, please do share, like, subscribe, and all those good things. And we'll see you on the next show. Mm-hmm.